Okay, better late than never. Here's our episode for for the the missing episode for this week. Apologies uh, for the delay. We are aware of the backlog. Yeah. yeah. It's busy December. It really um, is. Yeah. Chris, I you know, today uh South Korea pulled off the improbable. Uh congratulations Jess if you've been rooting for the South Korean team. Uh, I only a, last I heard is uh, they were knocked out of the the running, um, so I I didn't really pay much attention to be honest. So what happened? It was it was it was it was they were on the uh, bubble so to speak, and Ooh. they uh, pulled it off by winning in injury time, meaning like the official ninety minutes had already passed, and uh-huh. they were all tied up with Portugal. Oh wow! Uh, one, which is not a good enough result. Portugal would advance either way. They could lose in advance, mm-hmm. but they were tied at one-one. And in the in injury time, you know, just sort of the fluff time at the end, mm-hmm. uh, there the, South Korea scored a pretty magnificent goal. Man, uh, that must have been quite a game. I wanna, yeah, I watch and that. and Son, uh, what's his name? Sung Sung. I don't know how to say his name. Hey Min, Sung, I think. Yeah. Song Hoi Min. Yeah. Yeah. He was a he 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 set it up and it was pretty he was like three defenders Beautiful. on him and he was just pulling off his uh the sun magic. Um so congratulations awesome. to South Korean fans. Everyone I yeah. see on Twitter that follows them is uh-huh. losing their fucking mind because it was such an improbable <laughs> and great game. And Chris is in watching it in Korea. So mm-hmm. he's probably a fucking mess right now. So very happy for Chris that he gets in Korea to witness that. Shout out to our man on the ground, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So good timing for him. He he missed. Um, he had to like you know he he wanted to go see Son I think in uh in in the UK. Mm-hmm. But COVID got in the way of that and and stuff. So he 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 didn't get lucky with that trip, but I think he got pretty lucky with this one. Yeah, sounds like a hell of a game to have caught. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll he'll be doing a pod. When he comes back to recap his his trip, yes, probably a lot of World Cup Cup uh, uh, news in there too. Yeah, he's back Sunday, and Sunday's like the wrap the wrap up day for shooting um, on this short film uh, that 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 Dan Dan Chen has been and and, and Millie and this this guy Phillips and a whole bunch of actually a whole bunch of other crew and stuff. Yeah, there seems to be a Not bunch of people of involved. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, it's been it's gonna be like five uh yeah, about five continuous days of like and these guys get up at the crack acid dawn. I woke me and Chan woke up to drive them over to Ron Kim's place this morning to meet him at six thirty. So I had to get up at like five twenty. Dang. And uh and I'm not I'm probably not gonna see them until like you know, they're probably not gonna walk into the walk into the apartment until like well after eleven. you know and they're walking all day with these cameras and sound booms and you know all this shit Mm -hmm. and it's real dedication like this ain't like making a youtube video where you know you you got a guy with like an iphone on a gimbal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is like real fucking crazy uh you know like mobile production unit stuff Mm -hmm. so it's just really exciting have they been eating okay no no, <laughs> they don't have time. They eat like one meal a day. Oh no! Um, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's it, yeah. They, but they go into. It's like they go into like combat mode, you know. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, yeah, when you're like, in the when you're in the zone, you gotta you gotta do what it takes to stay in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to tell you about the dinner that we had the first okay. night. It was so. It was such a cool way to kick off this film project. Okay, so like I pick I pick uh, Dan and Phillips up from the airport, and the first thing we do after that is we meet uh, a bunch of people from like Dragon Combat Club uh, over at Louis Pizza, which is like two three blocks from me, mm-hmm. three blocks from me. Louis Pizza is the place where like. Louis is this Louis Soljevich is the guy who own, who owns the place along with his father, and it's like 
the lone like Italian outpost in a sea of like Colombian restaurants and you know Thai restaurants. It's it was like the the one Italian restaurant around here, and they there was a that elderly Korean lady that was being robbed outside the front. They had interview. You know this, but I'm just saying this for the for the audience. Mm-hmm. And then Louis and his father like ran out to intervene, and they got stabbed repeatedly. His father got stabbed nine times, and both of his lungs collapsed. Ended up in the hospital, which is thankfully right across the street. And Louis was bleeding all over the place, but he, so he had he closed up the restaurant <laughs> and then oh. walked himself over to the to the hospital. Uh-huh. Um, just classic like tough New Yorkers, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I had, I had told Louis about the project, and 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 he was interested in in being interviewed for it and everything. And so I was like, "Yo, we're gonna I'm gonna bring these guys over for dinner. We're gonna have like a kickoff dinner here, if that's cool." And it's not just pizza. Like they make like a full Italian menu with like all sorts of like pasta dishes and seafood and steak dishes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a full on Italian restaurant. It is. And yeah. I think it might be one of like the true hidden gems of New York City. Mm-hmm. Now that I've experienced the food because his father was a professional chef um, at a couple at a couple famous Italian restaurants in Midtown back mm-hmm. in the day. So he's got the. Oh, that's saying something. Italian in Midtown? Yeah. Yeah. That's the real shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's got chops, right? And so he um, still is just, you know, his father's the one that's cooking up all these amazing dishes. And, you know, for like eight people, it was like 135 bucks. Dude. How can you, how can you, you know? (laughs) And like Shan had a full on ribeye steak cooked perfectly. Mm -hmm. Delicious. Did you think? Baby, was the steak was the steak good? Yeah, everybody loved it. <laughs> I could tell. Yeah, I wasn't there, but I knew it was good because it, because all the the pictures you took inside the restaurant, all of the plates were like clean, clean. like yeah. licked clean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get like three pieces of bread to mop it up with, you know? Yeah, like yeah. we're talking like 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 you like that that tells you something about how good this this uh, this joint is. Yeah. So the food's perfect, but the other thing is like Louis, you know, comes out. Oh, there's like this, you know, there's this like it. It was like a scene out of uh, like kind of like a do the right thing kind of scene where the the other customers in the restaurant were like talking to us. Oh, that's and, awesome! And, and and involved in the conversation, mm-hmm. and there was like this other guy who was like from Manhattan and. He he came. He goes all the way there to eat because he's friends with Louis' dad, and he's talking to us, asking us what we're doing here, and we're telling him about the film project, and he's all excited because he used to work on a film crew, and then he's tell you know, and then he, and then this Louis comes out and he's monologuing for us, and his father comes out, and his father's like, you know, when you start, everyone's like just, you know telling the chef how great he is and he's just sitting there taking it with that big ass <laughs> face. and then you know and then he's like hey who's who's the filmmaker here and dan raises his hand and 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 and, and everything and then then there's this like there's just like straight up talk about like louis comes out and he starts laying like i wish we filmed this but maybe it's better that we didn't film it because it became more natural but like louis was just laying down his thoughts mm, mm-hmm. you know about what is going on in the city oh, yeah. and everything mm-hmm. and it's just Every, and then and then people are I'm responding people are responding and then Adam is like you know when this thing goes down when these things go down you know who 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 are you supposed to call who are you going to call and this mm-hmm. random guy just eating a piece of pizza in the corner is like ghostbusters <laughs> you know and he starts jumping in with his thoughts and like that this is not a typical New York City dinner experience you know mm-hmm. but it is a classic one in that sense if that makes any if that yeah. does mean a little and so that was just a great kickoff. Like these two guys come in from LA and immediately get transported into like Asian Italian do the right thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was absolutely perfect dinner for Yeah, when 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 those things go off. right, man, those things are magical. Like Yeah. Part of it, like I like I, I like eating out. Part of it feels very impersonal too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you go to a nice place, but you're not really paying attention to anybody. No one, I mean, you're not supposed to, right? No one's paying attention to you. You kind of do your thing, you get out. Uh, just once in a while, you hit like a like a the right note, and something really like besides just great food, uh, just comes alive. You get good conversation. You meet interesting people. Uh, when it's right, it's so right. Sounds like you guys hit that hit that note. 
it was Monday like night. the New York City ideal, you know, the ideal version of of like a Vienna coffee house, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And people are monologuing political ideas, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> you're like, wow. Like, no, this is so, what's wrong. No, this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, so, that's cool. Just great yeah. energy. And then um, they're out actually with Chong right now, Bretion over at LIC. Mm-hmm. And timing was great because she, she got COVID and it was like kicking her butt. Oh no. And but now she's I think she's recovered enough where she's feeling good. And then I just saw her lose her shit on Twitter when South Korea won. So I'm like, she's in a good mood. <laughs> Perfect. <We're> ha- <laughs> Perfect. Losing her shit on Twitter. I'm like, she's having a good time. <laughs> Losing awesome. her shit and yeah. thirsting after the boys. Right? Of course. <laughs> it's it's easy to do. <laughs> Just the just the open, just like shameless thirsting for this Korean national team is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just shameless, w- shameless women uh. and men. You know, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah. Anyway, so it it occurs to me that we didn't actually uh, we didn't actually uh, tee up the the, the film project <laughs> itself. We just yeah. talked about about it. Oh, I'm just terrib- catching up with you, Jess. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all are yeah. just listening in. Um. So yeah. In case oh, and happy it- birthday, by the way. Thank you. Thank you yeah. very much. Uh, the belated another mortality. year of uh, contemplating mortality in the bag, ready nah, for another one. You know, getting older is great. It's fucking awesome. It really yeah. is, yeah. honestly. Yeah. For, yeah. for it, it seems it seemed like such a cliche. Okay, like the a tip a, a major tipping point was thirty, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was yeah. dreading turning thirty, like especially as like as a woman, you know. But I think generally you kind of you're kind of trained to be a little angsty about these sorts of things, um, especially in a really hyper like youth fetishizing culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, like once once the clock tur- like turned over on thirty. It was so much better. Everything that they say about that was was dead on. It's what what so did much they say about it? What 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 exact what what primarily? I thought it was a little bit of cope, honestly, from like people who were over thirty saying like, "Oh no, your thirties are the best. You start you stop giving a fuck. You know, you're more self assured. You're you got a you got a little bit like credibility in your bed. like like the you word, weren't buy- you, you weren't totally buying it. I wasn't buying it. Like, mm. how could you be? You're old now. Um, like, wh- like what's yeah. left for you in life, honestly? Um, but no, it was true. Like you, and and, and this this is predicated on spending your twenties correctly, right? Like, if you, I think the twenties for everyone is kind of a grind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think men talk about it a lot, and it's it's very acute for them. But it's not like women are that far off from that either, especially if you're in like a white collar situation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where everyone pretty much just goes through the same like education track at the same age. Um, your twenties are kind of a grind. You're, you're, you don't have enough money. Um, you're not that respected at, at your job. You're not that good at your job yet. You're precarious in a lot of different ways. Uh, you're insecure, you're anxious, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of things don't, you know, aren't, aren't going so great. It's uh, but like, if you do, if you handle that period correctly, like turning, like turning thirty and beyond, go, is is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And you're not, I, I agree. and you're not like, and you're still like, like it's not like your body completely falls apart or anything either. So you still get like it's not that much different than uh, it's kind of like delaying all the things that people say that they wanted to do or that you should be doing in your twenties and then pushing it back. Until you actually have like the means and the stability to be able to do it, it's it's great. Yeah. I think you, it's a hybrid. and you really actually I think thirties is neither young nor old. It's kind of both. Yeah, yeah. and you're like an old. You could either be. I think the early half of the thirties, you're an old young person, and then the later half of the thirties, you're a young old person. That, that feels correct, which means you kind of yeah. tap into both worlds, so to speak. Yes, um, it's and, definitely a transition and phase. It's, it's and it's different. And definitely you have to handle the mental transition well. Like you can't be like you gotta move past like the impulsivity, you know, the 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 YOLO in your twenties. You gotta be able to manage it because you are a grown adult at this point. Uh, but it's not like it's not like you're it's not like you have to immediately go to, you know, hemorrhoid cream and looking up old folks' homes, you know? You're right, right. So I don't know. So moving through my thirties has been awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. 40s 40s is its own trip too but it's in a uh, it's it's different because 40s you're just like straight up just accept that you're old don't 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 try to you know don't don't be confused about it you know yeah yeah (laughs) there's a lot of confused people in their 40s who are still kind of 
I think the humor in your thirties, like I follow this uh, Twitter account. I uh, I am thirty as fuck, so I am thirty AF. Um, right. It's hilarious. I like every single meme that I come across. I identify with a lot of it is kind of being in a little bit of denial that your proclivities have changed, right from right, your twenties. Right. Right. Uh, like who, who is this, who is this bitch, you know, eat, going to bed with a book at 9 PM, you know, YOLO, um, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, like it's, 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 it is a period of like, like you have to be mindful about this, right? You have to handle that transition. I think it gets, I think it's sad when people who hit a certain age and are in complete denial of it, or they're trying to mm. extend a period of life that has absolutely passed them by. Mm. Right. Um, like, a, like this isn't even like arrested development. This is intentionally keeping yourself in a state of arrested development, not letting yourself progress as is natural for, for everyone to do. That's, and it's, it's fruitful. It's not just like coming to grips with getting old. There are actual, like to me, ben- benefits in having been on this earth for a certain period of time, having done my thinking, having, having been critical, having done the work. And you and you reap the rewards of that. There's people out there who are just simply getting older in body, <laughs> and like refusing to open their minds up. Mm. Yeah, you know, in a way, it's all. And there's a little bit of a reverse thing going on too, where I think like older people these days, some of them, maybe not these. I always say these days. Maybe it's a universal, but like it, it always happens. But like older people still. Uh, kind of staying trendy and trying to update their style and preferences and stuff to match the times. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, it kind of goes against like, in my opinion, the luxury of age, which is like, I can freeze my time. I should, I can and should freeze my style and preferences to a certain point at which I, that I like, and then just become like, hopelessly outdated Mm -hmm. and that makes you a like a proper old person (laughs) you know what i mean like you should be unstylish to a degree you should be a person right who are you if your if your life is and your tastes are dictated by by things around you right if you feel you have to adapt yourself to things around you you're not really a full actualized person i think by a certain age you have to have you are inevitably going to develop preferences right I think we talked about this in the materialism pod. Like I have very defined preferences now. I am probably mm-hmm. never going to diverge from that, no matter what the trends right. around me say. Right. Um, it's, I mean, it's, if you want to buy that as like being intentionally unstylish or like curmudgeonly or just being an old person. Uh, yeah, sure. That, that comes with that. But part of it is like, who the fuck are you to tell me how I need to live my life? (laughs) But I think people like it when they see it. We just don't see it that much. Like, I don't know. I was, I was, I was watching this old Michael, Mike Myers, uh, skit from SNL. Like he had a little character called middle-aged man from like way long ago. Mm -hmm. And it's this like deeply unfashionable middle-aged guy who goes around solving problems for people in the neighbor in the suburb neighborhood that he lives in uh-huh. because as a deeply unfashionable middle-aged man who's like going bald and has all sorts of like back issues he has a lot of practical knowledge like he'll mm-hmm. just show up at your garage and tell you how to how how to jump start a car <laughs> and you know like when to remove the cables and you know all this stuff and uh-huh. maybe to put some baking soda on the terminals to prevent corrosion in the future that kind of thing uh-huh. and the existence of these unfashionable but highly like practically knowledgeable middle-aged adults it's it's starting to disappear a little and now like middle-aged adults are trendy they're on fashion they're you know they're keeping up with trends and i kind of miss uh mike myers middle-aged man you know i miss the hopelessly you know adult i don't get the youth culture kind of guy uh or or lady but who just has like a lot of practical knowledge hmm. that, that the okay. kids do not have does that you know what i mean i don't know that's I that's do. how i thought of adults when i was a kid and now well, maybe we can, all we the can adults start, are fashionable i see a through line from this into the actual topic yeah yeah let's we let's get to the top. no but like, what you're talking about is uh is like someone who's very set in their ways and probably uh probably means that in their day-to-day like mindset they are not focused on the the world around them to some degree, right? Like, mm. if you want to be trendy or stylish, you have to stay. You have to care about that that entire world, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a trade-off. Um, you can't be on top of every trend, be, you know, stay current and hip and everything, and also have the the mental capacity to like build up a body of knowledge in a certain in a in you know, be in a be an obsessive about something. Like this guy clearly just tunneled in to like what? Like what is it just like car shit or like general like anything general like like band. marriage marriage stuff you know uh okay. like this woman asks him if her husband's having an affair oh. and he's like does he seem especially happy lately and she's like no he's like he's not having an affair yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shit like that yeah like there's a there's an element of caring about the world that uh that you have to come to terms with and I think yeah. big part of it is not even telling you not to care about what other people say. Like that's that's not that's not for anyone to say, right? Mm-hmm. Or that you absolutely should be tailoring your life around the trends around you. It's simply you have to come to terms with what you care about, uh, and the, and try to find that balance for yourself. So I think this tees us up into the conversation about strivers versus obsessives. Uh, yes. Both of these uh, both of these things I've been, I feel like have been kind of meta themes in uh, stuff we've talked about, but we tend to emphasize more on the striverness, uh, the striver portion of it. Uh, we kind of, we, we, we've kind of like, especially in the, the, the discord, uh, if you, if y'all hop on in, you'll see, you know, uh, it's a, it's, it's basically a daily staple of conversation, you know, grappling with this concept of the striver. Like how much should I be striving? How, how much of it is good to do? How much of it is bad? A lot of, a lot of our energy is actually spent on bashing. Uh, strivers who are willing to throw, uh, throw like the community under the bus, throw a specific subset under the bus for their own personal gain, um, etc. Um, striver is kind of the person who 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 wants to stay hip to things. They very much care about how the out how they how they relate to the mm, outside world and how the out and they very they are uh, they are very concerned with how the outside world sees them, right? Um, Sure. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it plays into things like materialism, right? Uh, I think we've got, we've gone back and forth on this a lot, actually. But I think uh, like striverism is often, you can often tell by their, like their lifestyles, right? Buying, buying a current, buying a very hip car, right? Having to live in a house that's slightly over, you know, slightly um, less than affordable for you, right? Like really pushing the limits on that. And it's really mm-hmm. to project an image of yourself. And I think the whole- A lot of like that- internet connected, like exercise gear mm, yeah, that requires yeah. like a subscription, that kind of there thing. There you go, yeah. The Peloton, yeah. <laughs> like there's a whole like axis, like Peloton, uh, Tesla, and probably something else that I'm missing, but- Yeah, it's all, uh, the, it's all the hot brands- it's all the hot yeah. brands, yeah. yeah. Um, everybody, everybody that slid into the inbox with a sans serif font, uh, mm-hmm. basically. Oh, cast like Casper mattresses, Tesla, and Peloton, or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, I mean, and it's so, and we talk about marketing because it's so obvious because they've done the work to tap into the psychology of this customer, right? A little class anxious, um, a, uh, not wealthy, right? All of them offer like like uh, payment plans, financing, right? Yeah. Financing for these mm-hmm. uh, for these entirely optional um, things. I think these are high income people, but who are spending. A yes, lot. they spend. Yeah. They spend what they make. Yeah. Um. To the like, why it's it it should seem weirder than it does. Like I don't hear anybody but us talking about it. Like how Peloton has a has a has a payment plan. Like you you can finance your Peloton. Yes, you can. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you can finance your pants. I I mean it's got it's certainly expanded way past that um Mm -hmm. but like to me I think I think I think for us right like like I think you pointed out that holy shit you can finance a peloton or something and like Mm -hmm. that's that's an that's an odd thing and like just think and I think a lot of our conversation about striving is entirely about like getting into the psychology who wants who is that customer basically we want we want to talk about everyone who has financed a peloton basically yeah um, I don't, and, and we are, we are pretty, we're pretty anti-striver in this dojo. Um, I feel like that's worth, that's worth getting into a little. I think it's a, without a, without a proper articulation of, uh, what, what we're saying, I think it just sounds like we're just kind of shitting on, uh, people who've made it to a certain point in life. 
right? Um, and kind of shitting on like the psycho the the psychological struggle of that kind of precarious middle class. Mm. Um, but I think what we're talking if I if if I if I if I'm gonna go on a, out on a limb, I would I'd hazard the guess that when we talk about being anti-striving, we are talking about to some extent um, cutting off uh, the the hold that the outside world yes, has yeah. on not us. Not the person, right? We're not shitting yes. on the person, uh, I don't think. But we're talking about the cultural uh, uh, reinforcement and even the yeah the cultural underpinnings that are pressuring people into sort of an endless striverism and the 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 symbolism of you know financing a bike that you work really hard to pedal but which goes nowhere <laughs> uh you know like financing a stationary bike is mm-hmm. it, to me has been it's such a perfect metaphor for <laughs> this culture you know but mm-hmm. anyway yeah, yeah, and you you have to pay. It turns out you have to pay a subscription for their like cla- their group classes, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and they're like they're like very exquisitely engineered uh, things that uh, kind of tap into your your like competitive instinct, right? Like you're mm-hmm. scored against the rest of your class, uh, and then uh, you know you're supposed to like work harder to to get to the top of the class, right? For nothing, mm-hmm. right? For, just for nothing, the, just for the just for the feels. Just for the feels to get you to, I mean, they're trying to trick you into burning more calories, right? Which is ostensibly the thing you're trying to do, right? Like get, mm-hmm. get in shape, all that, all that, all that good stuff. Um, but the, but like the reasoning behind it is so hilarious and it is such a perfect metaphor, right? Like striving affects all of us in basically every aspect of our lives, right? We talk about striving in terms of like uh, the college rat race. And I think Asians have been in the spotlight in particular for that too, um, and it's been a really tr- tricky kind of conversation to uh, to navigate here, like being anti-striving, but also, you know, but also uh, anti- like negotiating anti- affirmative action, all that stuff. But it's but it beca- it is such a hot button issue. It is such a critical issue because striving to get into an elite institution does kind of set you up for a certain kind of life that we've that is desirable in this country. Mm hmm. You know, yeah. Um, I think striving also affects us in our career choices, right? We like, uh, uh, like in tech. Um, I've personally been really. I don't know if anyone actually like fully gets uh, my my like why I dislike to this so much. Um, and I don't intend to go into a full thing on that. But uh, for a long time, the status symbol was to get a job at the Fangs. Um, for anyone who's know, like uh, the big the big five companies whose names everyone knows, like Facebook, Apple. Uh, what's the other A? Amazon. Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix. Although I, a lot of these companies are a little bit on the rocks, but they've mm-hmm. been the premier, uh, the premier empl- employers in this in this industry yeah. for like Sto- a decade. And, and stock price superstars for sure. Mm-hmm. Minty right. millionaires and billionaires, or right? Like for billionaires. like millionaires, honestly. Now, and we can argue about you know how what that actually means in these high cost of living cities, but these jobs carried cachet, status, and a lot of material security. Right, you mm-hmm. could you could make a lot of money, um, very very safely if you get if you get access to a job there. Now all of that has come into question in recent years, especially with all the layoffs and stock prices slipping, and uh, you know all this stuff has kind of come home to roost. But for a while, that absolutely was the thing to strive for if you were a like software engineer mm-hmm. in in the industry. Like that's that was the apex of your career aspirations. If you weren't, you know, psycho enough to want to go off and do a startup and kind of like gun, you know, take a run at the king himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, well, I, well, let me let me let me pose a question, right? Yeah. Um, which I think is at the heart of the topic that you proposed, which is okay, if we're against or 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 if we're trying to critique striverism in our culture and in our lives. Uh, what is the antithesis to it? And it's it sounds like, you know, you were talking about about obsessives, and yes. I don't know if you mean that as a as as sort of the antithesis or an antithesis to striverism. But but what what is obsessiveness? Do you, or obs- what is obs- what are obsessives? I think it's a it's a despised uh, shadow to the striver. Okay. Wow. Jungian terms. Um, 
Yeah. Nice. I like it. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, I just, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to follow up on that. Just, just gut feelings the way it, I thought of this as striver versus obsessive, not to imply that it's the only despised shadow, uh, like persona archetype to the, to the striver, but that it's one of them. And it's just what happens to be one that I feel particularly, um, protective of. And I find mm. it, I find it a shame that it's been so despised in the, in the, in the culture at large here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me, let's, how do I teach this? Okay. Let's bring it to the Asian subreddits, right? Our favorite mm-hmm. place to, our favorite place to start a conversation. Yeah. Um, I feel like, um, you know, leaving aside any like political or even like, like sociological thing that they're, that they're unpacking. One of the things that they seem to value are the traits, um, and aspirations of the striver. A lot of the like help that I see being peddled there is, in fact, about like stripping away a bit of individuality, kind of uh, uh, tapping into a hive mind of a hive mind collective consciousness of cool. Get with the uh, program. Attract- Get with the program. Yeah. I mean, the goal is to is to get chicks, right? Let's right. That yeah. seems to be like. I the, mean, the I mean, how many posts do you see that are like, hey, I'm thinking about moving to this city or that city um which one is like best for pulling ladies you know that's like the number one criteria is like where am i going to get laid the most yeah i mean there was Uh a crazy one from just a couple days ago shout out paluo our uh our resident trash trash collector (laughs) who brings the the choicest garbage to our door um it was it was a post from from a guy an asian guy at ucla a junior in fact and he's talking about how it's hard to pull uh, hot chicks, hot Asian chicks at UCLA, and is actually contemplating uh, transferring to a school that has more of the 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 kinds of Asian girls that he's interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Schools that are that are ranked lower than UCLA, like that's 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 uh, how far that the ABGs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no diss to UCI, honestly. That is that mm-hmm. is the mothership. Um, but say, and then, it, but that's not the that's not the most uh, interesting part for the for the uh, for the topic at hand. Part of it is uh, he describes the process he personally went through to undergo this transformation into a ABG pickup machine. Right, talks about like get like uh, getting his getting piercings, I think tattoos, uh, getting in shape. Like he molded his entire personality around this uh, this vision of an ideal self. That he believed mm-hmm. would uh, that he believed would uh, would give him the yield he was he was after, mm. right? Um, so this is this is striving, right? This is this is kind of a striver attitude, right? Striving is kind of putting us shaving off individuality. It's putting aside individuality, uh, putting aside uh, things that that go against the grain, break the mold a little bit, and to conform to a very um, inoffensive uh maximally like maximally poised for success person right um a person like that is gonna like it's uh uh let's see you're, you're kind of turning yourself into a product for mass appeal not niche appeal right because mm-hmm. we've we've decided we've decided in this instance that pulling uh the most chicks and the hottest is the metric to win on and it requires right? a deep commitment to social conformity Yes, and, very um, much. Yeah, like and, internalizing and, and, and the, it. The the hallmarks of that, the 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 ideals of it, and what that looks like, are not up to you. I think that's I think that's part of the that culture is like the the whole point of it is to have external standards that you're we're all sort of put pressure upon to to meet some more than others and that's the game we're playing the same game and mm-hmm. the the point of it is who can embody this better than and who can't mm-hmm. right I, th- I think is an element of that mentality and i think you're right i think that does sound very counter to the obsessive who i think i don't know you said obsessive in, because i think there's a behavioral aspect to it which is obsessive but i i think of it as creative yeah, that's what that's what I mean. I think to to hit the certain to hit a certain height of creativity or achievement, I think you have to be an obsessive. Like you cannot strive your way to genius. Seriously, 
Right. Uh, because striverism is inherently about appeasing other people. Uh, and in return, they will give you like they will give you the uh, the trappings that you need to burnish your sense of self and to 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 win some goal that you have that you've optimized yourself for. All right. The obsessive does not give a single shit. Yeah, the- I, and, and I think genius and is is kind of um, there has to be creativity in it. Mm-hmm. Right. It can't be non. there's it's almost like. The synonymous mm-hmm. is, is the ability to create and um, whatever it is, art or some scientific theory or some engineering thing, but there's a creation aspect to it. And uh, what you're saying is, oh, I think what we're arriving at is this idea that, well, if you're if you're defining yourself in this way of saying like, here, this is what society values. And by society, I mean chicks that i like you know um and other dudes who want to be like me right um because they also like the chicks there's no creativity in that at all Mm -hmm. there may be hacks but that's not creative right there may be like tips shortcuts but you know ultimately because the goal i think is beyond your own control you don't get to define those goals it's just the it's just the best path from here to there. There's like no room for genius. There's no room for creativity. You you it's, absolutely can't afford you can't afford the risk that creativity demands. Right. You have to be as riskless as possible. That means conforming mm-hmm. to a well-known template. Mm-hmm. It's an anti-creative process, really. And success is determined completely by other people, right? There is no internal metric for it. Uh it it's the uh, the the validation and the confirmation of your success is entirely externalized right and it's it's a process of you valuing that validation enough to internal to bring that in and internalize that as part of your sense of self well then let's talk about that's instead cuz i think the striver is so well known like we all know mm-hmm. it we all have it like and i don't think the world is necessarily divided between striver individuals and creative obsessive individuals but i think we all probably have a degree of both in each of us mm-hmm. yeah like all of us Absolutely. have a striver side all of us have a creative side and that aligns with you saying stuff like the despised shadow and jungian terms in that jung has always you know it's all about archetypes and and we have it they're all in us we have all of it in ourselves to varying degrees right yeah um, and so this isn't to call out like a specific group of people like you guys suck and then saying, oh, but those creative people over there are awesome. Uh, I don't well, at least I don't think that's what it is. Um, but but more that there's a there's a tendency, there's a pressure to be conformist and striverist. And there's a there's also an inner drive, I would say, to be I, I don't know if you think that's a difference is like that that obsessives that that's an inner drive. That's not yes. like an outer pressure to mm-hmm. to do the thing that you're obsessive about be it some like filmmaking and I'm watching Dan and Phillips like and and Millie like just be I mean like Millie like in the morning she she has to get to Flushing for or or Elmhurst my place by like 6:30 or 7 in the morning all the way from where she lives which is really far away and I'm like uh, in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, I feel sorry that this project is making her do that. But she's just like, no, no, that's fine. And she's just like dragging these boxes and stuff. And I'm like, that's probably inner drive. That's obsessive mm-hmm. behavior where she wants to do it. Yeah, it makes no rational sense. That's yeah, the thing. It doesn't right? make any sense. I'm like, that was that's this is a why like obsessive. Schlepp, you know? Yeah, it's a, to an, a, like the path of an obsessive. And I'm not. I'm talking about like if you are if you are if you are gripped by the muse, right? Uh, it makes no sense. You are doing this almost at your own expense, right? You will sacrifice your own, like, um, like you're saying that even taking care of my own body is second to uh, the comforts of like the comforts of uh, like of bed and being being comfortable and warm on a winter on a winter morning is very secondary to getting this shit done, right? Right. It shouldn't make any sense. Mm. Um, there's a and really do you, so. Do you feel yeah. that in your life? Like, do you do you feel like you have 
elements of your life that are stri- that of you that are striver and elements that are obsessive and if so like which is the real you you, you know what i mean like are is there do you think about that kind of stuff or i absolutely do um i think being in tech is kind of a weird head trip in that sense right i I feel like a lot of this is technology centered based on like what you've talked about yeah i mean not not to imply it's the only one it just happens to be the one i know best so i'd love to bring like dan or millie to talk about it from from um from their from their perspective too at some point but uh uh, like there's a lot of myths and contradictions inherent to being a, somebody who works in tech, someone who works in software or any, any, anything, honestly. All right. Uh, it's an industry that's founded on the myth of the obsessive, like valorizing the true obsessive, the genius, right? The social outcasts that hacked uh, against all reason for like five years and then came up with something that literally changed the world. And that is the story for a lot of stuff. Like, um, like, uh, that's the story of like the C language, right? For, uh, um, for example, that's just the C one of many, language. the C programming language, mm. right? Uh, didn't make any sense for them to have done, to have done all that. Uh, but they did. And we use it, we use it every day, every single, every single one of us. If you're on a device, uh, you're working with, with, uh, any kind of appliance or computer or phone or anything, you are using C, you are using right. the fruits of that labor, um, where am I going with this? So it's an, yeah, so it's an industry that de- deeply valorizes this, right? And the myth-making is about, you know, the the antisocial, probably autistic or borderline autistic person who just lives in a hoodie and, and just wants to write code all day. Uh, the reality is something a lot different, right? The reality, especially now in a bureaucratized, uh, very, you know, very capital-rich industry is... Uh, is is primarily marked by how how much strive, striving you can do that mimics obsession. That mimics obsession. That is that intentionally the, in, uh, that that's intentionally trying to be uh, mistaken for. Yeah. Obsess- so borrow, borrowing the valor for the of the true obsessives, right? The Ken Thompsons, the the um, the the Dennis Ritchies of the world. Uh, Creators and of those, C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. Uh, I have an interesting story about Ken Thompson, I think, uh, later on to demonstrate the con- contradiction, one of the contradictions okay. here. Yeah. Uh, so you borrow the trappings, like a lot of people, you know, brag openly about having ADHD or like talking about themselves on the Asperger's, spe- the autism spectrum or something like, huh. uh, but it is kind of an act for a lot of people. Right. So it has become a lo- really hard to tell. And, and credentialism is, is endemic. So, um, you know, and, and, I think uh, like going to a good college, it's not what it, it's not really a marker of genius. It is a marker of a certain kind of discipline and self-effacement at a certain age. Like if you're able to be What do you mean by to, self-effacement? Um the process to get into a college, right, is is peak striver. Mm-hmm. Is there any actual room for individualism in that in the process that we have today? No. Mm-hmm. Right. I know a lot of people, true, like people I actually would consider geniuses with no, no hyperbole, right, who did not go to college. Like mm-hmm. one of them, like, quit halfway through the application process or one of them could not pull together the grades um, to 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 get to a decent college um, in high school because right. the way the way education works rewards striving, not obsession. Right. So like mm-hmm. this guy was like, like. He had taken over like the school AV uh, department, so he was like he was like doing hardware hacks and writing software for all this stuff, uh, and like flunked English, right? Stuff like that. Hello. Right, and 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 then do okay, but then for like truly obsessive types, um, where that is like the dominant, you know their dominant mode mm-hmm. like um i'm trying to formulate it i had I, i'm trying to formulate a question around this like um do do you do you think that they care about striverism like is it is it something that they're out to like you know have a chip on their shoulder about or whatever or do they or do they ignore it they don't care they find it irrelevant and they just want to not think about that they want to think about the thing that they care about I think the latter, um, and it's just when the when uh, the endemic striverism is interfering with uh, their their flow, 
that it gets mm-hmm. to be a problem. Right. Um, and what are the what? Are, what do you think? I think one of the hallmarks of uh, see, I, it's a, the, we're it's still anti-social. talking about fairly- it's an anti-social perspective. You are literally saying, "I don't give a fuck about your opinion." And that's a that's not exactly a, a thing that. Like if if a critical mass of people felt, felt like this, that means that we're all psychopaths and society is broken well, down. Right? Antisocial within a striver society. Yes, but it's not asocial in the sense that it's inherently against social connections. I would think, right? Like, no, not inherently. Isn't, isn't a lot of like hacker culture, like the real, not the bullshit hacker culture now, but like the real original hacker culture that did create stuff like C, like very social. Like it was a very, it was very communal. Like it, it wasn't. These um, sequestered, uh, you know, it's like great collaborative clerics, you know, these clerks, uh-huh. uh, you know, just hiding away in, in some like spider hole working on their craft um, in total anonymity. But there was a community. There was a lot of sharing and um, strong social bonds that uh-huh. were part of that culture, too. Right. It's not um, just individuals. um you know, uh, you know, grinding away in 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 total isolation. Yes, it is extremely collaborative and social within within that sphere, right? Antisocial, given uh, given that there are always going to be more people who are not like that than who are like that, and that's probably healthy for a society. I don't think we could. I don't think we could sustain a society where everyone is that level of antisocial obsessive. Like you need you- both. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, I think that that um, this we're we're talking about obsessives as if there is they're 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 an elite or rare group because they're marked by genius, right? And I think that the ones that we pay attention to do have like you know neural atypical levels of like uh aptitude towards some creative pursuit because maybe like that's the inner drive the strength that the the sort of like outsized inner drive that they have cannot be suppressed by the pressures the intense pressure even the intense pressures of a striver society like we live in in america Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But isn't? Would you agree that? I don't know why I'm asking this like a fucking lawyer. Would you agree that oh, uh, actually, you know, I think most, almost all people have creative drives, even yeah. if you're not like a genius. You know, like even if you're not like exceptionally gifted, like everyone has creative obsessions. Like everyone has interests, but we we just don't really have the time or place for that stuff anymore and only those that have intense drives will like forcefully carve out space and be hyper protective of their time which i think is a hallmark of obsessive these days is like they're extremely defensive of their time and how they spend Mm -hmm. it and they don't they they they, they're very averse to people telling them what to do and how and when extremely so yeah you're Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right i mean we used to just call them hobbies right interests yeah yeah exactly people everyone has their their quirks their individual um uh perspectives and interests right i love seeing that stuff and it's Mm. it absolutely is an indictment on the society we live in when that even that stuff gets so costly either in Mm -hmm. money or time or cognitive effort it takes a lot of work just to have your own shit together (laughs) like just to have a take that isn't fed to you by the media machine to to like something that isn't part of some mainstream whatever and I think a perversion of mainstream is actually taking stuff that used to be niche and then and then blowing and then uh, and then blowing them up, like comic mm-hmm. book movies, for example. Mm-hmm. That used to be a really despised kind of kind of hobby to have, like the mm-hmm. the the schlubby nerd who goes to the comic book store and buys up you know every copy of Superman or I don't I don't know it. It's such an arcane world. Uh, that used to be kind of a despised thing, and now. Uh, and now Marvel is like the dominant film franchise on the planet, like mm-hmm. bar none. It used to be kind of nerdy to be into Star Wars. Now yeah. it's mainstream. 
Uh, but you still, but we still value things like we still say we value things like individuality, you know, not giving a fuck about society, you know, going against the grain. So it's just kind of like, uh, so these franchises kind of work to, per, to, um, bring like some of that outsider cool, but make it mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of people who think that they are fighting the battle of some underdog by defending Marvel against all criticism. Like it's still some niche hobby that only the chosen few can truly understand. They still defend it like that when it's a, I I don't, it's been, it's been the only film franchise basically in theaters for a decade plus now. Like, come on, how are we, how are we managing this head trip here? Wait, I'm sorry. So what are you saying about Marvel? You're saying that it, it used to be the, the, um, the domain of obsessives, but now it's become. Mm-hmm. But like, it's now it's become so- mainstream. It's become very normy. But mm-hmm. part of its appeal, I think, is that it borrows the uh, the going against the grainness of its mm-hmm. niche uh, beginnings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think like there's a lot of people now who are pretending like they were comic book nerds, and a lot of yeah. people who are pretending they were Star Wars nerds, but they weren't. But they it's, be- but it's they still- become a mark of having that sort of like nerdy authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like I was into this before it was cool is this constant thing that strivers do, which I think is a is pure striver shit. Like they care about that for some reason. <laughs> like they care that they were the first to like something and that they, they these trends are bullshit, but I'm the real thing and all this stuff. And um that's what you know. The other thing that I think is a okay. That's a hallmark of a striver. I think the hallmark of a creative uh, obsessive. If you've noticed, like at least the ones that are like vocally, pu- like publicly vocal about what they do and why, um, is that uh, the obsessive, especially yeah, the the, the one who truly likes what she is in like doing, like just cares a lot about it, whatever it is when they talk about it. Have you ever noticed it's really easy to understand? Like, yes, they, they make things like I've listened to like Ken Thompson is, seems to be a name that keeps coming up. Um, now see, I think a lot of like self-styled techies won't know this name because they're not actually tech obsessives and they don't know who that is yeah Um, they're chasing they're chasing glamour they're chasing money yeah and all of those things both of those things are highly striver ish i mean to put it in black and white terms obviously right to chase those things implicitly uh, involves giving giving a huge shit about what others think of you right and you're gauging success based on how many other people also bought into that vision. This is a very yes. pro-social. Uh, this is a very pro-social view of of things of the industry and, and how you see where you see your place in it. Yeah. Um, and and of course, like I I, I doubt that any uh, striver techie bro guy uh, actually is able to program in C. It's yeah. Uh, pretty like I guess low level language. It's like why? To, yeah. Why would you do that? <laughs> Just do it. Um, just, just make everything in React and put the app out, bro. Right. Who right, gives a shit? Right. Exactly. Um, we'll and be so popping they won't know bongs by the weekend. Yeah. But, you know, the interesting thing to me is like, okay, take someone like him who is, you know, one of the like fathers of compute, modern computer science, right? And and listen to his inter- like an interview that 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 he's done with with a channel like a computer file or or I think he's even been on like Lex Friedman uh, maybe I'm not sure but he makes the topic of computer science and programming very easy to understand in a way like mm-hmm. he's dealing with first principles he's he knows how to communicate this to a layperson in a way that the striver techie bro intentionally obfuscates the person who's right. doing you know doing i don't even know what they do but they i know they they yeah like they sbf he was lauded for being a visionary and a genius right <laughs> yeah right he was just being he was being vague and used used political trappings like being having the right political takes as a cover right yeah, for his lack of knowledge and i think they yeah. also used they like to engage in really they like to talk about stuff 
where the point of it is that other people won't understand it, except yeah. for the in-group. They and- are the chosen. You need to trust them. This is ultimately a trust currying exercise, right? You're yeah. selling an image that you that you want other people to buy. Right. Right. They don't, they don't here to want talk to about make computers. sense. They want to make no <laughs> sense so that you will think that they're at a different level. Yeah. Yeah. And that you'll never be able to understand what they're talking about. And that to me is the mark of a striver. Whereas when you listen to a true obsessive, they really passionately want to understand what it is they're doing. And so therefore, when they communicate it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And even for someone like me, who is absolutely not a tech obsessive, but I'm not a text driver. I'm not in tech at all. Um, I really enjoy listening to the true obsessives talk because they actually are intelligible and they care about making it make sense to you. Yeah, and it's you know, weird. It, it make resonates weirdly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it the idea like they're actually trying to communicate a thing, not just tell you a PR pitch. Not there's to an, talk there's to a other drivers in front of you to flex. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's Sigma Grindset shit. And I fucking hate that culture of ours. And it's taking over. And, uh, you know, these people don't sound smart to me. They sound like fucking idiots. And they keep being exposed frauds. as idiots. Yeah. Because, complete frauds. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, when it comes to tech, for example, I mean, I've had training, right? Like, I, I was an electrical engineering major. I didn't go much further than that. But that's, that is hard STEM training. And I can spot this shit from a mile away. You know, like when you've been educated by engineering PhDs that are like deep into the shit, uh, and then you hear these tech bros talking like they're, you know, the the true obsessive tech people, it you're just I know this I know you're full of shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. like so chances are what you're doing is uh, is far less sophisticated than what you're positioning it as. It's gonna it's gonna be a horror to actually look upon. Like one thing about like these hackers, like the the original OG hackers, we talk about them as antisocial, blah blah blah. That implies a certain ideology that they, that you would assume it is imbued into their work. These guys all wanted to release software for free. They wanted this easily accessible, easily shareable, transferable. Uh, people would have own full ownership over their over the work that they do. All they wanted out of this was to just put this out there. Yeah. Right, because it made sense to them. Yeah, it's the it business worked. mind that tries to corral value, uh, entrap, enclose, and entrap it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, a, in broad strokes, that is a, also a deep philosophical difference. Ken wants you to know about about computer science. Yeah. He wants you to think like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll go check it out, and it makes it seem like you could pick this up and learn it and enjoy it and get get some value out of it for yourself. I think that as bad as things are in tech, I think it's even worse in the arts. I believe so. It's um, like it's 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 almost past the point. Of- I mean, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll pivot into that. But I have one like little anecdote that I think uh, is kind of fun, just to demonstrate, you know, how far the like tech has come as an industry and where it is right now, in in and how it how it clashes with the obsessive. Like we're, we're going to talk about Ken Thompson again here so uh wait let me let me check a second to see if i got that name correct anyway uh so the story involves google i am pulling up wikipedia <laughs> okay wait, well, you're uh, checking you know to see if ken thompson's the right name yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah you know yeah. No, no, no. I know, I know he wrote c i'm talking mm-hmm. about uh, this time i'm talking about go i think he was one of the authors of go Mm-hmm. Uh, the Go programming language. Okay. Uh, if I'm incorrect, uh, I, I apologize. But anyway, uh, so one, so I think it's Kim Thompson. He was hired by Google, and uh, he well, I weird relationship. But he was working at Google to develop the Go programming language. I think this was about like like seven, eight years ago. Um, and so he was part of the, he he joined the Google family basically. And one of the things that Google does is they make all their employees in a certain. It seemed like. I've never worked there, so I can't corroborate. But anyone who has, jump in, please. So, it turns. So the story goes like, uh, because he was working on in this particular department, they had they wanted him to take a couple of proficiency tests to get uh, to get fully like, uh, cert- to get the certificates to access like the repos and uh, 
and and, and documentation and all of that. Uh, one of them was C. Mm-hmm. Uh, he 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 absolutely he thought it was an offense. He was an offense to his very being that he was being asked to take a proficiency exam in C. And I understand him completely. Mm-hmm. But there was no way like Google would not make an exception. They would not they would not work with him on that. Right. Right. So he just he just refused to take this proficiency exam. So when he wrote code, he would just email it to someone who did have access to the repo. <laughs> okay. And they would and they would check it in. <laughs> He felt like it was an affront. He, he's yeah. the creator of it. Why would you test cre- him on his own create? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, it it really does not make sense. Like, so it's a it's a story that that kind of reveals how bureaucratized Google well, has become. Well, and I also think. I mean, it just I don't know the history of that, but it, it, off the bat, it seems to me like this is an example where we can misread these people as like deeply eccentric weirdos, mm-hmm. but from his perspective. I think there is a real legitimate claim here to why he shouldn't take it because it's like you are a company that uses my creation and now you want to gatekeep my ability to use my own creation. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. I think there is a there is a legit ethical reason why he shouldn't do that, why he shouldn't have done that. And, you know, I, I've, I've come up, I've, I've um, you know, kind of had exposure to um, you know, free software people and stuff, and they are ethical thinkers. They're like really, they really think a lot about ethics and ownership and usage. Uh, so I don't know if that was motivating his thing, but it sounds like the objection might be to the fact that Google was putting gates around the ability to even use this language. Yeah, even for the creator of yeah. the thing that they are making vast, right. some lakes of money on. So he um, may have been doing it like, we, as a striver society, you know, we just make everything about what it's what these exterior behaviors and uh, images reflect the individual on the inside. Like, ooh, he's a weirdo. Why wouldn't he just take the damn thing? It doesn't make sense. But maybe he's not thinking about himself. Like, maybe it's not about himself. Maybe this is a this is a this this is him saying, no, I'm going to stand by a principle. For the benefit principle of is a everyone. is a good word. I think a hallmark of the obsessive is having a principle, a very strongly held principle that they even they are not uh, capable of uh, of subverting. Right, like adherence to a principle. So right, right. Meaning about- it would be easier for him to do it, but I'm not going to fucking do it because it's wrong. Yeah, how hard could I mean? Of course, he's going to nail that proficiency exam. He could do that in his sleep, right? It's not about. It's probably it probably and it would make cost him a easier. lot of. Yeah, he can just mm-hmm. check his code in, not email it to somebody else, mm-hmm. and have them do it. And I mean, that's that's a hilarious. Yeah, but nightmare. it's so weird because it's so easy to twist that into thinking that he's being narcissistic or difficult. Yes, and you know, and that's that's a thing that happens in in striver culture. Is yeah. like get with it, striver. Con- you culture. being an exception, you you kind of like s- standing up to the rules. You questioning what Google's gonna say require you to do which everyone's required to do go fuck yourself yeah it, it's, who do you think you are subverted as a it gets turned into like a statement like who the fuck do you think you are you arrogant right. fuck yeah right like mm-hmm. everyone has to do it get with it right that's such um, a projection not, to say that the obsessive is. and creative is the narcissist yes which uh, i don't absolutely. think they are and I think it's when it when it t- comes to t- talking about like just everyone in general, right? I think it's important to kind of keep this this line in mind because part of striving does mean selling out principle, holding principle less valuable than some external validation, mm-hmm. right? So even if you so striving, it's a it's a it's a carefully modulated personal dance, right? Like which principles am I actually gonna gonna cheat on to get this other thing that I have decided is more important than this principle? Right. That's not a that's not a knock. We all have to do it, right? Sometimes I don't feel like wearing shoes. I'm gonna. Right. Because it's simply not worth a hassle getting thrown out of a place or like getting a, you know, stepping on a rock or something. Uh just because I don't feel like wearing shoes. Like we all have to compromise with this like society that we live in, right? Striving means you go over and beyond and you might not even know it. So it's pretty dangerous for an individual, I think, to internalize it too deeply. There, everyone should have some hard lines that they are not willing to see get crossed. Everyone should. Doesn't I don't even care what lines. It's going to different be different from person to person. I think everyone should. That's 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 part of being an adult, a grown ass, actualized person. You have to have principles that you live by. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them are <laughs> fungible. Some of them have to be absolute. That is the end of part one of this two-part podcast episode. If you want to listen to the second part, it's on our Patreon feed. And if you want to, if if you're not part of the Patreon, you want to support patreon.com/slash planning magazine.